Welcome to the Today Counts show. Today does count because it impacts, it influences your tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. The Today Counts podcast is sponsored by the generous donors of the Lead Today community. I'm your host, Tim Piper. At the Today Counts show, we talk about life and leadership, and we're continuing a discussion about timeless wisdom, specifically in regards to to wisdom. Our source document is a letter written nearly 2,000 years ago from the Apostle Paul to a pastor named Timothy, who was serving um, as a leader in the city of Ephesus, serving uh, the believers and, of course, in different ways, serving the community of Ephesus. You know, leadership is becoming, in my opinion, more and more a a broad term. It is becoming a more important term. I know that leadership is talked about in every angle of of life, but nonetheless, we need to continue to to work on it. You know, today we live in a in in a divided world. We've always lived in a divided world. So let's uh, center ourselves on on that fact. We've lived in a divided world ever since the fall, and we continue to live in a divided world. We are people who who struggle to to find what is right and and what is wrong, and some of us coward to the topics of today, or we throw uh, oversimplifications at things. We um, even Christians will say, "What will Jesus do?" And without really thinking about that in in depth, we just kind of throw a blanket of love everybody, accept everything. And that is not what Jesus would do. Jesus loves everybody. God loves everybody. But God has also engineered, has created the world in a certain way. So to follow the Spirit of God, to relate to God, we have to investigate how God designed things. This is a basic premise that we're working from. So what am I talking about in a divided world? Well, obviously, politics comes to mind. But inside of that, and even in everyday life, whether it's education, politics, uh, different views in uh, uh, policing our communities, nation versus nation, freedom versus dictatorship, um, how we handle gender dysphoria, you know, more and more are we going to understand the term gender dysphoria? I would probably say to you that probably, I would just guess that over 90% of people had never even heard the term gender dysphoria 20 or 30 years ago, maybe five years ago. I don't know. And, and it's still a minority today. But trust me, in time, uh, everyone is going to be familiar with the term gender dysphoria. I'm going to exaggerate here as much as they've heard the term cheeseburger. Critical race theory is another term that if leaders are not familiar with, gender dysphoria, if they're not familiar with, uh, they're not going to be able to lead well. They're not going to be able to draw lines. They're not going to be able to bring solutions to problems. Um, the woke movement is is alive and well. So just using those examples of some things uh, that that we're dealing with uh, today should cause us to pay attention. Uh, Gordon Peterson has a podcast that doesn't, frankly, need any more promotion, 
for those who are critical thinkers, those who um, come from a, a God worldview, maybe even a Christian worldview, maybe even a biblical worldview, those three terms, unfortunately, don't always mean the same thing to the same person. A God worldview, a biblical worldview, a Christian worldview. But uh, because I want to promote truth, I want to promote a biblical worldview, um, I, I do want to promote a, a podcast if you've never heard of it. If you just Googled Jordan Peterson, uh, you will be introduced into a very deep thinking, critical thinking podcast that can only bring good to you. So I would encourage you to do that. This podcast here today counts is certainly not at that level. Um, we may not be called to do exactly what Jordan is doing, but we will continue to grow and continue to learn and continue to serve where we feel God has led us and is leading us. So in this third chapter of 1 Timothy, I'm not going to read or discuss the whole chapter, but I do want to read this first section that talks about leadership. It talks about leadership. Now, last podcast, what I was trying to communicate is that I, I believe that the overarching purpose of that chapter was to discuss the misappropriation, the misuse of power. And women misuse it and men misuse it. And we want to create gender wars where there needs not be a gender war. We need one another. But both men and women in our fallen state have the ability to misuse power. And so that's what we talked about there. We turn the page and we go to another chapter of this letter to Timothy, and we find that the topic really continues. But now it is more talking about uh, the, the, the standards and the qualifications from leaders. I'm using the Bible as our source because I think the marketplace could learn a lot from Scripture, can learn a lot about leadership from Scripture. And because of a lot of the laws today uh, in our HR world and in our legal world, I, I think sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater and we, we skip some things. In general sense, uh, the marketplace gets hypnotized by skill. They get hypnotized by skill sets, by talent. And they don't look hard enough at character, which is the sustaining ability to develop skill sets, to even increase our talents. It is the, the muscle of character that is often missed and not evaluated in the business world, in the marketplace. But in the church, there are really high standards. And I'm not going to give the church a straight A report card for this. What I'm going to talk about is the biblical standard. So I'm going to read this short introduction uh, of the third chapter. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, now the word elder is sometimes translated as overseer. I'll read it again. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder or an overseer, he desires an honorable position. So an elder, and then he goes ahead and he lists all the qualifications. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. 
He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. Those two ideas are kind of linked together. Um, we, we know what alcohol can do, too much alcohol can do. Um, he must be gentle, not quarrelsome. Gentle is not weak, but he is gentle, not quarrelsome. Um, and not love money. Can't be a lover of money. He must manage his own family well, steward his family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own house, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer. I'll talk about that a little bit later. And it also says a little bit later on in verse 7, people outside the church must also speak well of him. And then later on in the chapter, I want to read this too, to justify these high standards, towards the conclusion of this chapter, Paul writes, this is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Wow, that is a big, big statement. So I know that in the land of America, we have a thing called separation of church and state, meaning in, in simple terms that government governs and the religious institutions live uh, within the government, but yet protected by the government in their sense of freedom to worship. And though I think that that, that is the right thing, I don't think it means that the marketplace shouldn't look into scriptures, nor do I think that people that are in the church should not be part of government. What we're talking about is the separation of institutions in that sense. So Paul starts off with aspiring to be a leader is a good thing, to be a good thing. We're not talking about aspiring to be in charge. That's not what Paul's talking about. It's always scary when somebody wants to be in charge, wants to be the leader. What we're talking about here is that this is a person who sees a problem and wants to be part of the solution to the problem. They aspire to, to be an antidote to the negative things, the things that need healing, the things that need nurturing, the things that need to be taught, the things that need to be supported, that when somebody feels a calling, a leaning to be part of that, they aspire a really good thing. But what they don't recognize sometimes is that as they enter into that circle in that arena, they are not just dealing with physical things, the things that they can see, but they're going to be dealing with the things that they cannot see. When somebody gets involved in the changing of lives, the transforming of lives, the teaching of truth, the, the supporting and, and propagating of God's engineering, of God's design, of God's image and likeness and kindness, when you, when you, when you do that, you're, you're speaking not only to what you see and the people that you see, but you're also speaking to the unseen world, the principalities. You, and when you do that, you basically put yourself on a hit list. When, when you, when you, my, my father taught me something when I was a young leader, um, because I, I would sometimes get disappointed. I would get my feelings hurt that people would criticize um, 
my, my leadership when, when those people criticizing weren't doing a darn thing. And, you know, they were sitting in the, in the bleachers, you know, criticize me. It's kind of like what we do in sports, right? We, we, we criticize the quarterback of a football team for throwing an interception or not getting rid of the ball or, or doing this and doing that as if we could do better, right? And, and so, you know, we, we call those armchair quarterbacks and, and Monday morning quarterbacks where we are criticizing somebody. And so, you know, being a young leader, that kind of shocked me because I was honestly leading to serve. I was giving myself, my time, my life, my talents to help. And yet I would hear through the grapevine sometimes, because um, that's where most criticism comes from, right? Very few people have enough courage to to look at you straight in the face and and work through something, talk through something, to share differences of opinion. No, in fact, most people are cowards when it comes to criticism. So they kind of do it, you know, in that junior high way. Or, or actually, I probably in junior high, we say things to our face better than we do as adults. Uh, maybe we don't learn that until we're in high school, right? And then that kind of starts there. But my dad said something to me that really helped me understand something. You know, and I don't remember exactly all of the words and how they came together, but he he essentially said, you know, people need leaders. And, and, and a lot of their protest about life, right? They could be mad at this, mad at that. They They take it out on leaders. And that is one of the, things that we do that we provide is we provide that place to be a sounding board. We, we're a dartboard. We, we, we take on these attacks, but not just from the physical world. We also take on attacks from the invisible world, the world that we can't see. So a lot of these qualifications that I'm going to talk about here in the next few minutes, th- these are as much to protect you as a leader as they are any kind of um, indoctrination, onboarding process. And maybe you've never thought of it that way before, but the standards are high to be a leader. And But I think that's part of God's engineering to protect you so that you can sustain leadership. When you go in idealistic and you don't realize that you're walking into war, you're walking into the battles of good and evil, darkness and light, uh, true enemies, when you stand for something, you will attract enemies. Now, if you just, you know, hit your garage door opener, you come home, you pull into the garage, and you live that private life, you just go to work, do your job, come home, okay, you probably are going to have few enemies because you're not standing for anything. You know, you're just living in a cocoon. But Paul is saying, for those who are willing to stand for something, really to get involved, Uh, You aspire a good thing, but beware. And so then he goes into the list. So the list includes these things. Be above reproach. You know, the standards are high. You got to live a clean life. If you've got an addiction, then get help for it. You know, whatever you, you struggle with, hiding it is going to hurt you. It will be found out sooner or later. You know, I don't know where I got this analogy, but I've used it for decades. But when you hide your weaknesses in the closet, in a closet where there's no light, um, mold begins to, to grow. You know, we say skeletons in the closet, right? That skeleton begins to, to grow mold and it turns into like this scary sinew and 
joints and then, you know, veins and skin and muscle. And eventually that skeleton climbs out of that closet and hunts you down. So, you know, living a, 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 a life of moral authority is really important. And because we're all weak and because we are all are sinners, because we all struggle, the best way to deal with that is to confess our sins, to confess our weaknesses in places where it's safe and where we can get help. We should never appear as better than anybody else. Um, the more you do that, the more you are setting yourself up for attacks. The more you hide your struggles, um, the more those struggles will grow muscle and come back and hunt you down. So responsible transparency. And what I mean by that is you can't go around blabbing your weaknesses to everybody because a lot of people just can't handle it. They've already put you on a pedestal. They, they've raised you and, and have put you there. It's not fair, but that's the way it is. And so the minute that you show a weakness, you know, you're going to be crucified. So live above reproach. And so that's what I think. That's what I think I mean about a living approach. You know, pursue holiness, pursue righteousness, pursue justice, pursue living a clean life, a good life. Um, and where you are weak, make sure that you are getting help for that. Make sure that you are transparent in the right places and you're being held accountable for those things. Then it goes into marital faithfulness. You need a strong marriage to get through leadership. Uh, Rhonda and I do not have a perfect relationship. My wife and I do not have a perfect relationship, but we work at it and we know we don't have a perfect relationship. We're not perfect parents. But we do know that the best gift that we could give to our kids and our grandkids is to have a great marriage. It's not parenting skills. It's not grandparenting skills. It's having a great marriage, being faithful in our marriage and having a great marriage. That's the best thing that we can do for our kids when they were little. And even as adults, that's the best thing that we could do for them. And as well as it is our grandkids. Um, that's where strength starts from. Strength starts from a, a good and healthy marriage. Talks about being self-controlled, right? Um, being self-controlled. You know, we all get impulses to do things, to say things, but having a filter in which, and a process in which we can filter our emotions so that we can judge them appropriately and then uh, let them out in a wise way. This is live wisely. Well, that's a broad term, but you know, what's not listed in here, we can probably include under that umbrella. Uh, leaders have to manage their finances well. They have to manage their tongue well. They have to manage their, their behaviors. It's just kind of an add-on to, to being self-controlled. Uh, you know, lives wisely. You save money. You stay out of debt. You take care of things. It gets pretty practical, really. And then a good reputation, not just inside the church, the Bible teaches, if you're a leader in the church, but also outside in the community. You can't live two lives two separate lives. You have to be the same person, you know, where, wherever you go. Uh, this is a standard. You have to be hospitable. And it, that literally means entertaining people in your home, um, having a home that you can entertain people using your home. You know, I know people in the marketplace who are not necessarily churchmen, but they do this really well. They They use their home as a place to build relationships and to uh, practice hospitality. But I, I think it also implies to people that are, you know, that we live in a different age. 
of course. You know, we, now we have planes and lifts and Ubers. But in the day that this was written, people would literally walk and they would walk long distances. And so they would need a place to stay. If they were wealthy, you know, they, they might have had an animal to ride on. But even so, it took them a long time to get from point A to point B. So, you know, the whole Airbnb thing, um, that's been around for thousands of years. So leaders' homes needs to be a place. This is an amazing list, isn't it? And then able to teach. It doesn't say you have to be gifted at teaching, but you have to be able. You have to be able to communicate well. You know, what's right, what's wrong, how to do this, how to do that, why we do it that way. You have to be able to teach. You know, drunkenness is not becoming for a leader. Uh, you know, cocktail hour is a is a big deal in the marketplace. And if you're a believer, then, you know, Scripture doesn't tell you that you can't drink, but it definitely warns you about the dangers of alcohol. And, you know, particularly, uh, you know, common sense comes into play here. Once you start feeling it in your head, right, you probably have had too much. If you don't do that, you lose the ability to be self-controlled. You lose the control of saying wise things, et cetera. And being gentle. Um, I, I love the Proverbs. If you're not a reader of the Proverbs, I would encourage you to read in the book of Proverbs, which is uh, a lot of leadership wisdom in there. But one of the Proverbs says that a gentle word can break a bone. And it's such a great word picture that gentleness is not weakness. There's no need to raise your voice. Uh, there's no need to act unbecomingly. You can make and enforce difficult decisions in a gentle and respectful and honorable way. Not quarrelsome, not quarrelsome. We all know about that. There's just some people who seem like they're born to argue. They got to argue every point. They can't seem to get the broader idea. They can't seem to agree on a, in a broader way. If something doesn't line up exactly how they hey, they believe it, you know, they're bent out of shape, right? They have thin skin. And that's another way to say it is you got to have a little thicker skin, not a lover of money. So we don't pursue leadership to make more money. Often that does happen because uh, when you bless others through your leadership, you generally get blessed. It's a universal principle. It just kind of works that way. When you work hard at plowing the field and planting seed, most often you get a bountiful harvest from that kind of labor, that, that kind of work. But if you're doing it for the money, then you're not in it for the right thing. And unfortunately, I know way too many people who go from job to job simply because they can make more money and they miss the opportunity of serving and leading others right where they are at. And then it talks about managing their own family. I'm not going to really talk much about that because I think I commented on that in regards to the, the marriage. Um, and not a new believer, not a novice, um, uh, and I think I think probably the best way to say that is I know that in the church there are some people that are gifted naturally on stage, whether it's their singing or whether it is uh, teaching, communicating, uh, whether they are good influencers, and we tend to get attracted to that and we skip a lot of these other steps. So this is a big one. You know, someone might appear to check off all these boxes, but. In the church, they've only been a believer for a couple of years or a few years, which is not nearly enough time to go through the fire, to be tested, 
to be tested as a leader. Man, these are some pretty high standards, but these are some things to think about. Um, and I wonder if you're a business owner, if you're a business leader, how you can incorporate some of these things. Now, again, the context for this is within the church, but I wonder how you could take this list and begin to create a profile of the ideal kind of leaders that you're looking to hire in your organization and that you're looking to create in your organization. And last but not least, I started off with some cultural difficulties that we are experiencing today. And who else would you want dealing with uh, the gender issue, the critical race theory, the woke uh, movement, the divisions, the unrest that we have than people like this who are who have a sound mind, who are patient, who are gentle, and yet they're strong and they and they they know the ways of God and they know the right way and they care about people. And I guess I would just remind you of this if you're confused. Evil often masquerades as compassion. Evil often disguises itself as victimization. Uh, evil has a funny way of pointing to those who teach truth as being bigots, as being uh, lacking in compassion, when actually the opposite is true. And case in point, how can we let minor children be cut up physically in an effort to change their gender when we all know that the child's brain has not developed to a place where they can make good long-term decisions without counsel. And these decisions being, being made, how compassionate is that for us just to say that this 14-year-old, this 12-year-old, this 16-year-old wants to go ahead and do this and they're gonna have to live with that the rest of their life without some other kind of manipulation. What other kind of leaders do we want in helping navigate this world that has lost its backbone to help guide youth, to help guide people in a way of understanding, in a way of healing, in a way of growing? I don't know about you, but I want leaders who are really well-rounded and who are strong and deep, and they have a sustaining compassion not a knee-jerk compassion, not a compassion that comes from hysteria and lack of logic, but those that really do care about the long-term benefits and health of everyone. If you're not part of the Lead Today community, let me invite you. Go to leadtodaycommunity.com. That's leadtodaycommunity.com. Dot com and sign up for Monday Moments. It's a weekly email that will encourage your leadership. Again, thank you for joining us today, and thank you for telling a friend about the Today Counts show.